0: evening I'm glad you're here I'm glad I can be here I decided that I would not try to answer questions tonight because I really don't have time I did receive uh, three or four questions and I will try to uh, answer them later I think I Uh, preach on August 26 in a combined service and I think I will try to finish uh, talk about the uh, importance of these issues and answer questions and elaborate more on some issues. Uh, Last Wednesday This past Wednesday, we looked at three issues, and they were political, social, and economic, the question of authority and tradition, and what is uh, the views of baptism. And this evening, we are at D on your outline, the meaning of what it means to be saved, the meaning of salvation. Uh, To begin with the... uh, catholic view the answer to the question the meaning of salvation or how one is saved is you receive the sacraments and they had seven sacraments the catholic definition of a sacrament it is a sign through which god and the church communicates grace and the sign like water or bread or wine the sign conveys the grace which it represents. And they defended this view by saying that the substance of the sign, the real or essential part or element of it, may change even though the exterior, what they called the accidents, like the color, shape, or texture stays the same. We'd, none of that may matter to you or make any sense, but that's their explanation. So, in baptism, they believed in baptismal regeneration, that baptism saves, uh, confirmation, the second sacrament that it provided an opportunity for a person to confirm their infant baptism. And then the third one was Eucharist or communion, which we'll talk about later. Fourth one was confession, which takes care of post-baptismal sins. Uh, Marriage was a sacrament. A vocation, actually. Ordination, if you did not marry... I don't mean to be funny here. If you did not marry a man or a woman, you could marry the church. So ordination was also a vocation and a sacrament. And then what they call last rite or extreme unction, anointing of the sick. These are the... Uh, Ways, steps, or seven actions through which a person was saved. Uh, number two in your outline there is, is uh, the medieval Pietist view understanding of salvation, which which uh, was Martin Luther's early view or he included it in his early view, and it became the basis of the Anabaptist view of salvation. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Theologia uh, Deutsch or German Theology. Is the name, the title, and we don't know who wrote it. It... um, It emphasizes the reproduction of Christ's death and resurrection in the soul instead of in mass. This happens in the soul instead of when you partake of mass. This is an internal work of God in the heart, not some work God does in the bread. That's the view of this work. It emphasized what we call glossinheit, which means uh, yielding, surrendering, abandoning oneself to God. And in this work, the author suggests that a major hindrance to glossinheit is possession of personal property, which some Anabaptists picked up on that item, too. Luther's early view was rooted in this work, this medieval, pietistic work. He believed at first that the soul, mind, and will participates in, uh, prepares for reception of grace. He said, cast yourself on God, participate with God, receive the work of God. But as time passed, he moved away from that View And more toward, I'll say, Philip Melanchthon's position, which was a more imputed righteousness as opposed to, in this view, an internal work of making righteous. Uh, number four there, the general Protestant approach is that the righteousness of Christ is, in, is imputed to one's account if you believe the right thing. There was an emphasis on removal of the guilt of sin through the blood of Christ. Grounded It grounded salvation completely in the value of the historical work of Christ on the cross. Now, I had a um, a professor at Liberty who was, I would say, quite knowledgeable of probably every my major and minor theologian since the time of Christ who said in class after he asked us to shut the door who said that that the Protestant view of salvation did not need the resurrection of Christ all it needs is Christ's death on the cross and and it's he said that because of this point Anabaptist number five understood salvation in the German theology tradition, and I'll give a list of things that are not in your notes. They rejected the sacramental structure and said that the grace of God is present in believers and not in the bread and wine and water. They rejected infant baptism and said that Scripture calls for proclamation of the Word, faith and repentance, and then baptism. Everything about salvation and the meaning of Christianity seemed to them to point toward adult baptism. They rejected the Protestant view that people are born guilty of Adam's original sin by saying that Christ died for all humankind, and by saying that Christ's death frees from blame and guilt, even uh, also the immature people who do not have the capacity, the normal capacity to believe. They rejected what they considered an overemphasis on the sovereignty of God and bondage of the will, and said God restores to man the human faculty necessary for responding to the Holy Spirit and apprehending the holy, the divine, the ultimate, primarily through the reason and will. These, according to Anabaptists, were either never lost in the fall or else. They were restored by the work of Christ. They rejected the idea of an invisible church and regarded the visible church as the kingdom of God. They emphasized faith that works, not a faith that believes that Christ died so I can go to heaven no matter how I live. Now, that was really fast, I know. Okay, my reflections. I have studied this subject in my lifetime more than anything else. Uh, I would say I, I do believe that the Anabaptist understanding itself of salvation is more biblical than than any of the alternatives. There are, uh, I think, a few ditches that that people who believe this way can fall into, which I'm not going to talk about right now. I believe the imputation view, the the Protestant, the common Protestant imputation view. I believe it is a major reason. For the modern Protestant view that a person's works have nothing to do with their final destiny. I also think that the imputation view is is the the basis for a a lot of ungodly living that goes on. It's the way the gospel is taught, the way trust in Jesus is is articulated as as being primarily trusting in a work on the cross and God doing a work outside of us, imputing the righteousness of Christ to our account in heaven, and that's what saves. Now, if you have if you have questions about any of that, I want, I want you to send them to me. And I, w- I want to elaborate on whatever I need to, if, if, if that doesn't make sense. Uh, maybe I should say, okay, what I'm saying is the Anabaptist view of salvation is that it is an internal work of God. It is not something external that happens on the books of heaven. It does that too but it happens in us, and it changes us, and it changes our life. The next one I have, E, is what is the church? The Catholic view is the church is present where the sacraments are properly administered, and everyone in society is a member. And by the way, I forgot to say uh, last at Wednesday night that part of the reason for infant, infant baptism was it was the way that society kept track of how many people were present. It, it was a civil thing. It was the ba- it was the basis for taxes. So when, when a person was born, there had to be a record, a public record, and that, that was part of the infant baptism procedure, was getting this new person in society on the records. So everyone in society was a member of society and the church, and it was all the same, that Catholic view. The Protestant view was proper administration of the sacraments, same as Catholic, but they added preaching the word, and everyone in that geographical area belonged. The Anabaptist view was that the church is present You have all of this, I think. The church is present wherever those who trust and follow Christ are gathered. There's more emphasis on discipleship, meaning following Christ. More emphasis placed on following Christ in faith and obedience. More emphasis on discipling one another. More emphasis on discipline of those who lived in sin. By the way, Another, by the way, uh, excommunication, that form of discipline, I believe was seen by Anabaptists as an alternative to killing people. The only way that Catholics, Lutherans, Reformed had to get rid of people in their territory. Who, who, who were doctrinally unsound or whatever they thought qualified them to be excommunicated. The only method they had to get them out of their midst was kill them because everybody in society was church. And the Anabaptist view of church allowed excommunication to accomplish the same thing. That might sound really strange to you. To us, but I believe that's true. Only those who follow Christ are members. Anabaptists placed more emphasis on the gathered body, on the participation of believers in worship, in the choosing of their leaders, in the discipling of one another, and in discerning the will of God. Corporate worship, mutual aid, fellowship and mutual accountability characterize their communities or congregations. An individualistic or self-centered Anabaptism is a contradiction in terms. As a united fellowship of believers, every Anabaptist congregation modeled an alternate community. Such a covenant community functioned as an authentic counterculture. So my reflections here, now I'm speaking for myself when I say these things, of course, when I say my reflections. I affirm this uniquely Anabaptist gathered body concept of the congregation for this view of the church to work believers have to be committed to following Jesus as lord and they have to be committed to full involvement in the life of the gathered body and the ordained have to be committed to leading as servants and not as lords or out of selfish motives so this this uh, this uh, this view of Church is congregational life and participation, the preaching, instruction, discipling, and talking together, and deciding together, and working together. And I believe, I believe the goal was. I think they wanted the whole congregation. This is my thought. I haven't read this anywhere, but I I think I'm right about it. I believe Anabaptists viewed the, the congregation somewhat in the same way that Catholics viewed the orders. I don't know if you know what I mean by orders. Uh, Catholics had orders, nuns. Um, help me. Minus yes, the monks. So, thank you. Yeah, and the priests, the ordained, and the set apart from normal, ordinary people. Those those people lived. They, they were supposed to live a holier life than everybody else. And they lived their life in a very close community. And they, they I think that was the vision that Anabaptists had for their congregational life. So the next one I have is what ethic applies in human relationships. The Catholics, the orders, practice Christianity and live out the love ethic in a different way than the rest of society. The the orders, the ordained, were not required to go to war. They did not have to engage in the normal activities that other people did. So they they were seen as uh, quote a cut above. They were expected to live Christianity and love the love principle in a better way. Luther. There's no major change from Catholics. The word is preached, sacraments practiced, people go to war, uh, hate and kill, whatever. Anabaptists, they said believers are called to practice the Sermon on the Mount, to follow the example of Christ. To resist evil without violence and to suffer wrong. And in this, Anabaptists have different differed from many other Christians, most other Christians. Anabaptists believe that the peace position is not optional, not marginal and not related mainly or primarily or only to participating in the military. On the basis of Scripture, Anabaptists renounce violence in human relationships, any kind of violence, uh, have a high regard for peace, promoting peace and reconciliation, the way of love. View that as being at the heart of the gospel, and God gave, Christ taught this, gave this, and lived this. Not not as a uh, intellectual point to ponder, but as a command to obey. And I'm saying this was the Anabaptist view. They said that this was very, very costly for Jesus, and it may also be costly for his followers. So, this has to be a way of life. Now, of course, <clears throat> we know that many, I almost said our forefathers, but not quite sure how that works because. If the person had been your forefather, you would not be here, except maybe he was killed after someone was born who is your forefather. But many, many Anabaptist Mennonites were killed, and they weren't the only ones who were killed, but many were because they refused to fight. There are stories of people who... Who could have gotten away or taken advantage of the pursuer, but they did not because of this principle. So, my reflections I believe the Anabaptist view of this on love and non resistance is consistent with Scripture and Jesus. I believe this view requires serving and sacrificing always in times of peace as well. When, And this, this is one thing I've thought about quite a bit. For some of us who are now almost 70, we made it. We are not almost. Okay, Mel, I'm not sure who else. Are we the only three here? But I mean who served in some kind of service as opposed to military. Okay, and the reason for this, the reason this is true, there's only three of us here, is because the the need to serve uh, was removed, not required, and I would say in general a lot a lot of the a lot of the places that that were functioning as 1W opportunities have closed they closed when they were no, when it was no longer required which makes me wonder how much commitment we have to serving in time of peace it's just something to consider i w- i wonder about that i also want to say that i'm not sure that The term non-resistance, I know it's the King James term, but I'm not sure that term, non-resistance, is the best term to use for this principle because it suggests, perhaps, maybe not, but I think it does, suggest being passive in relation to evil. And I do not believe that being passive toward evil is what Jesus is calling for and i think there is a lot of evil that goes on in our world and inside of us and among us that that is very challenging and takes a lot of wisdom to know how to respond to and i don't have the i don't have the answers to to all of these challenges but i think it is pretty easy for For people to to ignore to ignore evil that should be addressed. So we're called to resist evil, but to do that without carnal force, I believe is what the Bible teaches. I I think we understand. I think you understand the issue I'm trying to address there. Resist not evil does not mean we just let evil go on and we say nothing and don't address anything. Don't speak into it. The next one I have is the Lord's Supper. There are various communion. There are various views of the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And they these various views are connected to various views of, the term is, Christology. Questions like, to what extent and by what method is God present, Christ present, the Holy Spirit present in creation? And by what means is God and Christ and the Holy Spirit present in believers? In what sense is God present in in the sacraments or ordinances? The, these kinds of questions are related to the issue of the Lord's Supper. And I'll just say that I, I do not know, I am not uh, very good at those kinds of questions and and thinking thinking in those modes. I'm not uh, it's not my strength. I'll just say that. The Catholic view of the Lord's Supper was transubstantiation, that's the word. The idea that grace is conveyed through the bread and wine because the substance of the bread and wine undergoes a metaphysical, is the word, a metaphysical change and becomes the actual body and blood of Christ. But they said the accidents, the outward forms, remain the same. So that's transubstantiation. Luther's view is called consubstantiation, he said, no, the bread and wine, the substance of the bread and wine do not become the literal body and blood of Christ. But, Christ attaches himself to the bread and wine, con, the Greek prefix, meaning in, under, around, with. The bread and wine. But the bread and wine are not changed. So that's Luther. Calvin, John Calvin's view of the Lord's Supper was what's called spiritual presence. He said Christ's body is still in heaven, but Christ is spiritually present. In the Lord's Supper. Zwingli had what is called the memorial view. He said that the body of Christ is in heaven and it cannot be also in the Lord's Supper. It cannot be two places at one time. He said it's just the memory. We remember Christ's work. The Anabaptists generally, uh, some of them, I'll, I'll say first, some of them did not practice the Lord's Supper. The name for them is spiritualist. There were some like that. I believe Hans Dank was one of them. Schwenkfeld, a quasi-Anabaptist, did not practice the Lord's Supper. Generally, they, Anabaptists, had the same view as Zwingli, that it's a memorial. But they also emphasized the idea of brotherhood, of living and suffering together as a fellowship of dedicated disciples. Marpech, Pilgrim Marpech, beyond the uh, memorial view and had more of a Christ is spiritually present view. Now, my reflections, uh, I might get excommunicated for this, but this, this is my thoughts about it. Christ is spiritually present, I believe, because he is present with his people And I believe he is especially present uh, at communion time, when we remember his broken body and shed blood. Desire and freedom to commune should not depend on being perfect, but on commitment to dependence on Jesus' death and resurrection, And it should depend on our experience of forgiveness and redemption and experience of intending, intention to follow Christ. So there, in this item, I would say generally... The idea of a memorial is a strong, it's a strong point that has come down to us from from this item, the Lord's Supper. The next item is the view of Scripture, how we know truth. Everyone was a biblicist. Uh, they all used a Bible text to defend defend their position on anything. Now I mentioned this before. These two principles, the Anabaptists differed with other reformers on what was meant. What this meant for her- hermeneutics. Uh, Lutheran's wing that said, you can do anything the Bible does not explicitly condemn. And Anabaptist said, you can do only what the Bible commands. Commands. You cannot do what the Bible does not command. Now, I would I would encourage you to, I put that in there so that you would have it. And I would encourage you to go home and think about these two principles and how they work. Or how they wouldn't work, because I don't think either of them work. I don't think determining the will of God is as simple as those two statements. Uh, I'll take the last one. You can only you can do only what the Bible commands. I would say that probably would rule out driving a car. It would probably rule out a number of things that that I believe most of us would say are not condemned by Scripture. The Anabaptist view of biblical interpretation is Christocentric. That means that they emphasized. Perhaps we could use uh, Menno Simons, we had the verse in Sunday School this morning, his emphasis on this verse, that uh, no foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For Anabaptists, there was a strong emphasis on the example of Christ, the teaching of Christ, and what would Christ do if he was here in this situation. So understanding of Scripture, viewing it through Christ, is what is meant by that one. The Anabaptist view sees biblical revelation as progressive. That is that the, the New Testament over the Old Testament, that there is a progression in the Bible of revelation from God and and generally Anabaptists, Mennonites did not place this bothers me a little but they did not place as much emphasis on the Old Testament as on the New. Especially, especially when it comes to to how to how to live life or the church i think they would have seen they would have seen the old testament as a good place to find examples they thought it was the word of god they didn't question that but they saw a progression of revelation and this was very different from other groups Especially reformed, I would say maybe more than Lutherans, but who who found support for some of their beliefs, especially like baptism, found support for that and going to war in the Old Testament. And in the debates in Zurich, in the meetings that Anabaptists had with the council over baptism, adult baptism. There was a constant, Zwingli and his men constantly referred to the Old Testament and examples and so on of, and and used a verse or so in the New Testament that talks about circumcision and connects it to baptism. Uh, They used those kinds of verses in the Old Testament example trying to demonstrate that going to war is okay and infant baptism is okay, and the Anabaptists said, no, there's a progression of revelation here. The Anabaptist view says that the testimony of committed believers throughout the history of the church is important and in fact, Anabaptists wanted, they wanted to go back to the early church. They wanted to go back to post-Christ uh, within the first hundred years. They wanted to know what Polycarp thought and Justin Martyr and all of these men. They they wanted that to be more the emphasis for or the influence for beliefs than something further along because they felt the church had fallen with Constantine in 313. But there was an emphasis on the testimony of committed believers throughout history. What have believers said before? Why did they say that? Where did they get that? And also, the... There's always been an emphasis on the local gathered body of believers, a local congregation, as being an important part of understanding what the Bible means by whatever it says. So the the emphasis there has been on on who Christ is, and New Testament over Old Testament, and what is the history of the Christian church on this issue, and what do we together here understand the Bible to mean when it's talking about this. And then last of all, the Anabaptist view places, living, living, That is, doing, obeying, orthopraxy is the word, alongside believing certain truths, orthodoxy, and sees right living as a necessary result of right believing. In other words, we evaluate whether or not a person believes right, but whether or not the person lives right. Knowing what is true depends on following Christ in humble obedience. And one quote i found is, Anabaptist hermeneutics is the hermeneutics of obedience. Right now, I'm I'm thinking I want to say that uh, all of these points I've made are important. People have asked me, which of these do I think matter and which don't? I think they all matter but i'll I'll say more about that when I talk again. Now, I have another point here that you don't have notes for, and you might you might want to take some notes. This is the last point I had the the Anabaptist sense of mission, the missionary work. <clears throat> There's, there's no question about it that 16th century Anabaptist Mennonites were extremely active in missions. It's part of the reason they got killed. They were very, very active. And why? They had a compelling vision for missions. And I have several reasons for that. Uh, two. They had a unique view of the church as a believer's church, and I think that drove them. And I already talked about this view, the view that it did not include everyone in society, the view that there are some people in society who are lost, and they are going to hell. I did that on purpose. They believed that very strongly. And so, whether the people around them, whether or not they were believers or not believers, this is a huge deal to these people who had just discovered Jesus. This was not an indifferent matter to them. And then they, they interpreted Mark 16, 15, and 16, which I referred to Wednesday night, that says, you go and proclaim the gospel and the ones who believe and are baptized will be saved. And so they they believed that they needed to preach, they needed to instruct, they needed to baptize, and then they needed to disciple them. And they believed these things very strongly. They believed the, the church is a believer's church that that the church is composed only of those who practice voluntary radical discipleship. That is, they are willing and able to follow Christ in obedience and live a holy life, and that's what they intend to do and want to do. And there are examples of Anabaptists who fell away and they did not live life well. That is true. But then there are many, many examples of Anabaptists who were killed. They were captured on the basis that they lived an upright life, and and people paid Anabaptist hunters, paid Anabaptist hunters. They knew what to look for, and one of the things they knew to look for was they looked for people who lived an upright life because, in many cases, other groups of people did not live an upright life like, like Anabaptists did. So they, they, they had a strong belief that, that people need to practice radical discipleship, and it needs to be voluntary. Nobody compelled them to do this. The view that the church is composed only of those who share their joys and sorrows and goods with one another. So they believe that their movement represented a return to the New Testament vision of the church. As composed of voluntary, regenerated, yielded, and separated from evil believers who had responded to the preaching of the gospel. So they're presenting the gospel. They did this mission work. And there, there, were, there were Anabaptists who, who left home or went as couples, but more often by, by themselves, which I don't really, I'm not promoting that, okay? Okay. But who went off for a couple years at a time in mission work. Some of them were killed and some of them returned home. Okay, another, apart from their view of the church that I've just talked about, their view of the work of Christ was part of their compelling uh, vision. They rejected. Now, I've talked about all this. They rejected the sacramental view of grace that said the grace of God resides in the sacraments. They rejected the Protestant view that um, of forensic justification that said that Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for God to credit the righteous merits of Christ to our account in heaven. They rejected that, and they said instead that Christ's life, death, and resurrection is reproduced in the believer. And it makes it possible for God to work in the believer to produce the life that pleases God. They said that the sovereign God of history convicts and draws and saves and judges, and human beings are created free by God's grace, to accept or not accept the call of God. And so they were compelled to preach and present this gospel message, and God will work. That was their view. Early Anabaptists insisted that saving faith bears visible fruit in repentance, conversion, regeneration, obedience, and a new life. And that's a quote from Men of Anabaptist said that salvation brings us into life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, delivers us from Satan and sin, and makes us a full member of the kingdom of God in the present, and makes it possible for us to live a life that pleases God and do kingdom work. Several more things here, methods of evangelism, pilgrims searching for relief from persecution, Anabaptists searching for relief from persecution, preached as they ran. And uh, if you read very much, you will discover that many, many Anabaptists did a lot of running. They did a lot of moving I have no idea how they manage any kind of home life. Five children, seven children, ten children, and they are just trooping, hiding, going somewhere, any kind of way they can go and stay here, stay there like nomads. And they, they preached, they, taught, they talked as they went. Martyrs is another way people promoted the gospel. They preached to the crowds while they were being killed or on the way, as long as they could. Uh, Quoted scripture, preached sermons, sang, and that, that was a witness. There were people actually saved. And became Anabaptists as a result of being at an execution. Another way lay members, uh, non ordained people read the Bible and evangelized others in their homes. Uh, small groups met in homes, occupational contacts at work, in the common everyday activities. And I, I read in a number of places that women actually. In their contacts with other women, they were as, as active in missions as many men were. The reason for decline, there was a decline in, in Anabaptist-Mennonite missionary zeal due to severe persecution. There was a tendency toward withdrawal an introversion and maybe a feeling of inferiority, like we have a problem and we are a problem, and, and a retreat. I think in some cases uh, there was a retreat for mission work because people became too, uh, too much into the society and had it too easy. They forgot who they were. And then in in Europe, there was the view that one should remain is actually a law, that one should remain in whatever religion he had been born into. Now, I'm going to stop here. The next time I talk, I think I will use that August 26th opportunity. I'm going to try to talk about answer the questions that were given and talk about how what the, what how do these principles and ideas apply to us? and what can they can they provide some impetus for vision in the present for the future, and I'm not, I'm not trying, these things, these are actually things that I talked about when I taught in Anabaptist theology class, and they are not things that I am cooking up because I have something grand I want to say to you people. Okay, it's not like I tried to get all this together so I can make some grand point. It's just that these these ideas do matter, and I care about them, and I'm going to try to talk about how they might apply to us. Thank you very much, and uh, we will continue this later.